0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Every now and then there is something that I've been accused of doing where I'm trying to, as people have told me, sort of speak something into existence. I guess the most famous instance of this on the show was a few years ago about the idea of George Pickens coming to George. At one point in time, that seemed like a little bit of a pipe dream, unlikely to happen because he's a five-star receiver. (laughs) That's just kind of the way that goes sometimes. But in this particular case, we were kind of given credit for successfully speaking this into existence of, hey, Pickens, Georgia, Pickens, Georgia. And eventually it did happen. I remember being on the air when we found out that was going to take place, kind of a fun thing. We sort of spoke that into existence, or at least some people gave us credit for that. And I was more than happy to, to take those flowers because it was kind of a fun thing to think that we could possibly do. So who knows if we truly have those mystical powers or not? But if we do, I'm going to try to use it on something here right now. There is something I would love to speak into existence, name it and claim it. Uh, There is something I would love to speak into existence for Georgia the remainder of the season. There are a couple of players here kind of waiting the wings to possibly emerge for Georgia. And if we could see them truly break out, if we could see them truly step to the forefront here in terms of being trusted to be on the field and then making plays when they're on the field, Oh boy, the entire outlook for the rest of the Georgia season could be changed, could be dramatically upgraded here. I'm talking about a couple of outside linebacker, edge Rusher types, Marvin Jones Jr. and Damon Wilson. Jones, in his second year in the program, he's battled injury. Uh, Damon Wilson, in his first year in the program, a pivotal recruiting win for Kirby Smart and the Dogs just last year. And both of these guys, seemingly to my eyes, played a lot more against Vanderbilt two Saturdays ago than perhaps they had in other times of this year here thus far Wilson because he's young Jones because he's been a little bit banged up both guys were kind of on the field more against Vanderbilt and if you told me B.A. you now have mystical powers you can direct this Georgia season in any direction you'd like to see it go I believe I might put my magical hand if that was the case on Wilson or Marvin Jones Jr. You don't necessarily need both of them, but it'd be great to have at least one of them really step up and kind of play like that five-star level edge rusher the rest of the way. I just think that'd be a great thing here for UGA. Now, our buddy Connor Riley, who's actually going to pinch it for us and join us later on the show for reasons I'll explain here coming up in a minute, did last night ask Kirby Smart about Marvin Jones Jr. and Damon Wilson. Big-time talents waiting to kind of emerge at the full height of their potential as players where are they right now kirby smart gave you some interesting stuff on both jones jr and damon wilson this is from last night
1: well i think they're in two different spots you know like marvin's a year into the system he understands it really well he uh he can play sam jack uh can probably play off the ball back or two if he had to uh he's got very good instincts and uh has gotten physically stronger and tougher he's had to uh Two weird deals where he missed games um, due to injuries, but other than that, he's he'd been really consistent. Damon's younger and has uh, uh, shown great promise. I mean, he, he's a player that has ascended in the last two to three weeks in our eyes because he's worked so hard. I mean, he's down there on the scout team and they're coming in every day being like, "Dude, Damon's playing so hard down there. He's given us so much effort and he's uh, he's given us great look." That you know, we re- we rewarded him and played him. Uh, more against Vandy because of the work that he did and he continued that into uh the off week and uh and this week so he's doing a good job
0: so total confession here for a moment sometimes I sort of get why Kirby Smart doesn't love the media because of something I'm about to do right here anytime a five-star recruit is ascending that's great content right and like (laughs) And you're sort of you know, grabbing hold of the most interesting word in a quote. Kirby Smart says, Damon Wilson has ascended. Now, what Smart means is, hey, he was on the scout team, and now he's in the game against Vanderbilt, and he's playing better. He's sort of getting it. But when you tell me that a five-star recruit has ascended, especially if it's an edge rusher type, kind of that premium position, if that five-star has ascended prior to the Florida game – there's a certain element where it's kind of easy to sort of sell that. It's kind of easy to get excited about that. That just sort of works as content, to be completely honest. And so people like me who are blowhards who shout into a microphone, we sort of gravitate towards that type of thing, which probably gets on Kirby Smart's nerves a little bit. I do kind of understand that. I I do kind of get at least a little bit of that. And I don't want to make more of this than it is, but... I do like the idea that Damon Wilson may have ascended. I like that. That's I think that's really good news for Georgia because an, uh, an ascending Wilson on the field here, second half of this season, we believe it has eight more games left in it. That's good news. And if Marvin Jones Jr. is likewise also ascending, perhaps because he's just another year uh, of experience in the program, perhaps healthier than he's been, he seemed to play a lot against... Uh, uh vanderbilt i gotta tell you i think that's good news too so this may be an element of me trying to read more into this than what kirby smart said there but as i said i'm gonna try to speak this into existence i hope it's true i hope we do see a lot more of marvin jones jr and a lot more of damon wilson i hope they are practicing in such a way that this georgia defensive coaching staff trust them enough to be in the game and guys who i believe probably have just better and, and more prodigious talent than some of the other guys that they're perhaps competing against I hope they go out there and put that talent to good use, and I hope they change the complexion of this Georgia defense in the second half of the season. I do hope that's true. I believe a lot of Georgia fans do there as well. But what does it mean for Saturday? How about getting after Graham Mertz and these lousy, stinking Gators? How about just the idea of the pass rush overall making life difficult against Mertz? Well, on a different conversation, different subject, but on the notion of how the pass rush can potentially impact Mertz, uh, Kirby Smart told us on Monday that it's about a whole lot more than that defensively for Georgia against Florida. This is uh, more from Kirby Smart.
1: No, it's never all about pressure. I mean, it's it's about you know controlling the line of scrimmage and uh, not giving up explosives. You know who can who can not let somebody run the ball and not give up explosives? That's what you're looking for. And, um, that's what football's become a game of explosives and um, teams are trying to find them. Um, they throw the ball vertically down the field. Uh, Billy always has. I mean, a team that runs the ball well—that's what they should do. They've got a stable of backs that are that are really good. as good of backs as we've uh, faced. Um, you know, Gene Wilson is an elite player. He's the guy that's missed a couple a couple games, um, and is a a, a a weapon in that he breaks lots of tackles. They, they they are creative in their ways of getting him the football, and I think. Uh, Merch knows that he does a great job within Billy's system of knowing when to take the shot when to take the check down when to put him in the right play if you're just in the right play more often you you tend to have uh, more success and uh, he's done a really good job of that. for them.
0: But beyond that while Kirby Smart says it's never just about pass pressure. Florida does feel like one of the kinds of teams that you could potentially get some pass pressure against. And we know at times this year, teams have seemingly tried to get the ball out quickly against uh, Georgia and prevent this you know, athletic Georgia defense from kind of doing what it's perhaps the best at or most designed to do in terms of wreaking havoc there in the backfield. Teams are trying to scheme away from that. But Florida does not have a great offensive line. That's just a fact. They've given up 19 sacks this year. That's just 10th best in the SEC in terms of sacks allowed. So Florida this season has proven to be the kind of team that you can get after them with pass pressure, I think it would behoove george to do that there on saturday and as i said before i'd love nothing more than to see marvin jones jr or damon wilson be a participant in that we are going to try to somewhat speak that into existence i say kiddingly but nonetheless it'd be great if these five-star level talents really did emerge here as georgia moves into its most important stretch of the season but beyond that to have a little bit more of a nuts and bolts type conversation here we said this last week to me a very meager and realistic goal for Georgia is when you look back to what Georgia did almost exactly a year ago at this time, that first Saturday, November last season, an explosive, high-powered Tennessee offense, an offense that's far better than any of the uh, offenses that Georgia is about to face over the course of this next four-game stretch. Georgia only gave up 13 points to Tennessee last year, and some of that was aided by the rain. I do get that. But it's still 13 points nonetheless against a Tennessee team that had been scoring 40 and 50 points against everybody. We said last week, hey, for this next four-game stretch for Georgia against Florida and then against uh, Missouri and then against Ole Miss and then against Tennessee – if you want to see Georgia stay unbeaten, if you want to see Georgia have that best chance of of staying on the mission to perhaps go for three and 23, then that number 13 could be pretty key because right now Georgia's averaging about 14 points allowed for the season here uh, per game uh, thus far. 13 points given up against Tennessee last year. Can it do that at each of these four games? To me, that's a very, very specific and very, very manageable number On Saturday against Florida. After all, this is a Florida team that's averaging just 29, a little bit more than 29 points per game in the season. And when you look at the two Florida losses, 11 points scored against uh, Utah, 14 points scored against Kentucky, right around that number that we're talking about here right now. So whether it is a big pass rush, aided perhaps by the emergence and the ascendance, there's that word again, of Damon Wilson or Marvin Jones Jr., or perhaps it's just because of good, fundamentally sound defense, one way or another keeping the Gators to around 13, that number they've been to uh, and been around in their losses here this season, that could be a realistic and reasonable goal for Georgia there on Saturday. And it could be a blueprint for future wins over the course of this next four-game stretch. We are about to learn a lot, in other words, about Georgia as a team. And the defense stepping up at exactly the right time in the games that matter most, we could be about ready to see that take place. My name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Breda Pest Management. Happy to have you with us no matter how you join us today. Live on video, nine forty-five, first 1st and 15, dognation.com, Nation at 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms, radio, Athens, Sports Radio 960, the RAF, podcast, however you find them. Uh, Just really, really, really happy to have you as a part of our program here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management, making it all possible there as well. The official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That is what Breda Pest Management is all about. And so when it comes to bugs and critters and termites and things like that, they want to keep you protected there as well. Because the same level of service they provide to UGA and Sanford Stadium, and all the other athletic venues there on campus, they can provide that for you. Plus, for a company that's as well resourced as Breda Pass Management is, been in business since 1975, 125 employees, drove right by one of the Breda offices the other day on my way to high school football. Um, when you're doing all of that and seeing all, going to Kell High School on Friday, drove right by the Breda office right there in Roswell, and I was reminded about the great work they do for folks and one of the best things they do for you is when it comes to your termite protection as a for instance giving you more money back just for making that switch to breda pest management that's what they're all about so i want you to find them online breda that's b-r-e-d-a breda when you make the switch to breda pest management for your termite protection for your you know Uh, pest control all that kind of stuff they're going to put more money in your pocket right away just for making the switch because they understand how important it is right now to save money where you can and working with a great trusted company like Breda Pest Management is a great way to do that the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics find them online at BredaPest.com that's B-R-E-D-A BredaPest.com all right normally on Wednesdays we have a couple of things for you Last few weeks, we've had former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. We are going to have Jake this week. It is not going to be today. So catch up with us, I believe, probably on Friday for Jake Fromm. I believe he'll be on the show. Uh, We're going to record that with Jake here this week and run that for you. I think it's going to be on Friday. I'm trying to move a couple of things around depending on how things kind of play out. So we will do that. Also, typically on Wednesdays, it's Mike Griffith. Mike notified us a few minutes ago that he's actually sick today. Not going to be able to do that here. So we will um, talk to Connor Riley instead. We had Connor on the show yesterday, but it's always fun to talk to Connor, especially after another day in Athens where we've got an update on kind of how some things are playing out with Georgia here right now and their continued preparations with Florida We'll talk to Connor about some of that here coming up in a moment. In fact, one of the things I no doubt imagine we'll also talk about is uh, what we're going to discuss right now as we go around the doghouse uh, poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper. And look, I talk for a living, give a lot of opinions. Some of those turn out to be right. Some of those turn out to be wrong. Sometimes we're pretty good at looking at the landscape of college football and saying, okay, here's what's happening now, and here's what's going to happen next. And then sometimes there are other instances in which the trends probably unfold a little bit differently than we expected them to. And sometimes we just flat out get it wrong. I believe you got an example here of me kind of getting something wrong. And I want to be honest about that because I want to get it right moving forward. I think when we first started hearing about the so-called, you know, Spygate allegations against Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, I think I sort of downplayed some of this. I think it, to me, sort of felt like an echo of what I thought was a pretty weird NCAA investigation into Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. I don't think Harbaugh is well-liked. And so I sort of thought some of this was kind of probably within the same realm of, you know, Harbaugh doesn't have a ton of friends. It does not seem, both at the NFL and the college level. And so, therefore, there's a, a, a certain level of spitefulness that seems to exist around him. And in talking about this that way, it sort of feels like perhaps I have undersold what is starting to be kind of a bigger story. And it seems like it's growing to to certainly a much, much bigger story. So what you got going on here is, is that the Michigan staffer who is the one that's alleged to be like filming the the sidelines and the things like this name is Connor Stallions we're kind of finding out like how many tickets to how many games that he's bought and how many people he then transferred those tickets to like not just like it's like 10 different big 10 teams but also it's like sec teams you know going to you know teams they could have possibly played in the college football playoff and i mean this was an uh allegedly uh, uh an organization uh, an attempt here to get this extra information about the sidelines that was really far-reaching and the more far-reaching you realize that it is, the more deliberate and just kind of extra effort using technology and obviously in direct violation of a rule traveling to a stadium in order to do this, all of a sudden you start to realize this actually feels like a, a pretty big thing. And last night, Kirby Smart was asked about this, and some of what Smart has had to say has kind of gone viral a little bit just because it's such a big story right now. Everyone seems to be really interested in this. And Smart himself acknowledged that the specific allegations against Michigan right now are pretty unique. This is not something that Smart has a whole lot of experience with. This is what Kirby said about that last night.
1: Are you referencing the going to people's games, or are you talking about within our games? Actually, both. Like, a, a, yeah, I've never heard of anybody going to the games to watch the film and do all that, all the stuff that's going on. Anybody's talking about. I, right. I don't know anybody that's ever done that, or I've never been asked to do that as a young coach, or known anybody to do that. I don't. I've never heard of that. In um, high school football, you know, I grew up. With my dad, we would go watch other teams play. That was part of what you did. You went and watch the other team play. You sat out there with four other coaches, and you drew up their plays while they were doing it. You know, that was pre-cell phone and, and, and probably pre-signals because they were sending people in. With uh, them, the coach would send them in. With signals. That was a long time ago. But um, as far as in-game, I think yeah, I think people try to do that. It tries to go on. It, I, you know, I, as a signal caller, when I had to call defenses, it confused me. If I had to sit there and try to wait on somebody to tell me what they thought they got, and I'm trying to think about what the best call for the situation is, and you're relying on uh, misinformation or uh, something that's not very reliable.
0: There are two things that Smart says there that, that I think are pretty important. First of all, the idea that you might try to pick this up during a game, to me that just seems like really fair game. You know, baseball, this is going kind to of be easy to understand. If I'm on second base and I have a clear view of the catcher, and the catcher's making, like, obvious signals, you know, one finger for fastball, two fingers for curveball, something like that. And if I can pick that up, to me that seems fair game to use. And at times, you know, that's sort of violated the unwritten rules of baseball or whatever else. But the truth is that just seems like obvious competitive advantage that you would try to take. You're not using any kind of extra effort to do that. But if I'm, like, you know, got spies in the stands with binoculars, if I'm using trash cans like the Houston Astros, you know, did a couple of years ago – To me, it's the extra effort that turns this into a cheating thing. It's the technology. You know, if you're filming someone else's practices, for instance, if you're filming, you know, someone else's sideline traveling to do that, that extra effort to do that sort of starts to feel like a little bit of a a violation of ethics, if not outright rules, and uh, traveling to, to other teams' games is certainly a violation of that. It's that extra effort that just sort of makes that feel like absolute undeniable cheating in a way that if you're smart enough to look over to the sideline and sort of see this well that just seems like anything that any team would do to try to give themselves an advantage but if you're going the extra mile of having staffers who are specifically there and there's all kinds of video that comes out guy on the sideline for the ohio state game is for instance like really using the information he apparently had as uh, an advantage for michigan that apparently based on the circumstantial evidence that's mounting there is a way of telling a story here that makes it seem like the whole sign-stealing stuff was a major component of Michigan's game plan, that their game plan was built on the back of, we're going to try to gain information about their sideline, and we're going to build the – I mean, the allegation here is, the, 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 uh, the, uh, you know, the, the assumption here is, is that, is that Michigan was building a lot of its game plan around what it thought it knew about other teams. Kirby Smart also says, hey, as a defensive play caller, you know, sometimes thinking you know what the other team is doing, maybe that just sort of clouds your mind and clouds your head. And I do kind of get that a little bit. You know, I'm not a certainly not a you know former coach or an elite level athlete, but once again, to use the baseball analogy. I'm not quite so sure I always want to know what's coming, right, because that just gives me one more thing to think about, whereas maybe in your regular process you're just a little bit more clear-headed and a little bit more ready to go out there and play. So I don't know that always thinking you have the sign or thinking you have the extra information helps you. But if you know you've got it, there's pretty obviously uh, an advantage there. If there wasn't, Michigan wouldn't be working quite so hard to get it. So there's pretty obviously kind of something you know going on here as it relates to this. Now let's go back to Georgia actually playing Michigan back in 2021. Did smart sense anything was weird there with that because what we've learned is hey greg chiano last year the uh, rutgers coach he definitely thought something was weird going on uh with michigan other f- teams have sort of felt this too there have been some message board stuff where a lot of fans have kind of rumored you know and you know going back over the last year or so saying hey michigan's in in, in the stadium they're trying to steal our stuff there was uh you know photos that have come up of of you know the guy in the stadium holding up a phone video on the sideline or a message board poster a year ago well before this became news saying hey a buddy of mine got paid by Michigan to go watch the game and film the sidelines and it's just kind of talked about because nothing ever stays a secret very long but as far as what happened in the orange bowl a couple of years ago did georgia notice anything being weird there this is what kirby smart said about that going back
1: i don't know i mean there's times that people have said they've had our signals in game and and you know they knew this or that and you know you talk to the team that that you played last and sometimes when you're not going to play that team again they share you know what they might have had on you and things like that so i've heard of it in game um but a lot of times you can know the signal still not do it right it's kind of the joke we have is you know what play's coming and you, you mess it up and I've, I've laughed with coaches about that before
0: I mean listen I know plenty of coaches who'll tell you some version of that same type of thing and I actually set that clip up the wrong way that was a continuation of the earlier clip from Kirby now let's hear one more thing here Kirby on what he noticed about playing mission a couple of years ago here's Kirby again
1: no I didn't I didn't notice anything or know anything nobody we talked to you know, warned us or any of that. I mean, I think everybody we play, they say they steal your signals. I mean, we play somebody; they always they're they're great at stealing your signals. But uh, what they're referencing is different than stealing them. I mean, they're they're coming and they're you know, like talking about people coming to film them. That's completely different. But we've tried to you know hide the signals, hold the calls, put signs up, do all that. But I, I don't. I was nothing I remember about the Michigan game that makes me think that.
0: So let me kind of sum all this up this way at first as you probably heard on this show i kind of sort of chalked this up to a lot of people not really liking jim harbaugh very much and my thought process for doing that is some of the stuff that kirby was kind of alluding to there that sometimes thinking you got someone's signal doesn't probably help you as much as you think that it might but the more we're hearing about this this wasn't michigan thinking it had someone's signals this may have been michigan knowing it had uh un improperly gained information and building a game plan around what they knew the other team was going to do and that does seem like an unfair advantage to use just simple blunt language it does appear if this is true the allegations that are out there right now it does appear that Michigan has cheated and some of the advantage that it's gained near the top of the college football world would seem to have been gained improperly if some of what we're hearing right now is true and this is relevant for Georgia because Georgia did play Michigan in the college football playoff a couple of years ago and if there's any team that could unseat Georgia as this year's national champion it's been largely assumed that Michigan might be the best candidate to do so in fact next week we've got the college football playoff rankings coming out for the first time those rankings don't necessarily matter but they are a reflection of the current landscape of college football and there is a chance that Georgia might be number two with Michigan at number one there's a chance that right now Michigan in the eyes of a lot of important tastemakers is the only team in college football better than Georgia is that's that's I mean, there is a discussion going on apart from the cheating where that might be true in the eyes of a lot of people. But what if Michigan's status has been gained improperly? What do you do about that? I'm honestly not sure. You know, this isn't um, like an old school, like recruiting violation or something like that, where you can sort of easily take a scholarship away moving forward or enact some sort of bull ban or something like that because you've got longstanding practices in place. I don't know that there is a lot of you know, long-standing practice in place for what you do for an actual violation of kind of in-game rules like this. I'm not quite so sure how you respond, but what seems obvious to me is, and we'll see if it actually plays out this way, what seems obvious to me is the more these allegations grow, the more the allegations can be substantiated. It's becoming impossible to talk about Michigan without talking about this. How much will it taint the season they've already had? How much will it stand as a impediment to them being, you know, treated as a national championship contender moving forward? That's not clear. But for now, the Wolverines are going to be linked to this story. And I'm growing to think that's justifiably so. And that is around the doghouse poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper. Now, there may be some things we don't love about college football, like cheating Michigan or something like that. By the way, they used to be mighty Michigan. I guess now they've kind of become cheating Michigan. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's what they've kind of become here uh and as i've now said a couple times there is nothing sweeter for me than knowing that you know for a long time these sort of like pompous blowhardy uh big 10 types kind of turned down their nose at uh these redneck sec fans who are all about cheating and stuff like that well yeah, maybe now uh we find out that there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on in the big 10 but the point is there may be a lot about college football we don't like when it comes to teams cheating and stuff like that But there's one thing we do love, at least I love it. I know you do there as well. It's the connection that college football has with Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper loves college football and college football fans have gotten very, very used to seeing Dr. Pepper being a big part of the college football landscape here. So as you're getting ready to watch games this weekend, the cocktail party, things like that, all the other stuff that's going on. Stop by your local Kroger and stock up on some rich, delicious, one of a kind Dr. Pepper there as well, because we believe it's the one that fans deserve. And we think you're going to enjoy it as you enjoy some college football here this weekend. All right. Before we're done with today's show, I want to get a little bit deeper into Carson Beck, because in looking at Beck and kind of what could be in store for him the rest of the way, I kind of learned something that I thought was kind of interesting, and I wasn't 100% aware of this, but I do think it sets the stage for some interesting stuff for Beck moving forward. We'll get to that here in a little bit, but for now, kind enough to join us for the second straight day, pinch hitting for the under-the-weather, apparently, Mike Griffith. Uh, let's say thanks to Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braid Pass Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. So Mike Griffith is sick. Connor Riley joins us instead. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, Connor, I know we had you on yesterday, but a lot has kind of evolved since you and I uh, last spoke. And so I want to kind of dive into that. Some of the stuff that you talked Kirby Smart about yesterday and then also to kind of continue this Michigan conversation, which we did address. And uh, Connor, as I believe I may have told you yesterday, or if I didn't, um, I should have, I think there's a chance I kind of got this wrong. I, I think I dramatically underplayed this when it first came out because of my perception that a lot of people just don't really like Jim Harbaugh. And maybe they don't like him for good reason. But nonetheless, Jim Harbaugh does not seem to have a lot of friends at either the college or the NFL level. And so I thought some of this was just kind of an echo and a rhyme of the NCAA investigation that was around Michigan, which I thought was a little bit weird but you know moving forward with this uh spy gate type stuff this doesn't seem like quite as much of a witch hunt to me this does seem like if the allegations are described honest to goodness cheating if you're traveling around to these various stadiums and not just going to your big 10 opponents but going to places like tennessee teams you perhaps might play in the college football playoff and trying to get their sideline stuff this starts to feel like a bedrock principle for Michigan's game planning that they were building their game plan around what it was they knew the other teams were going to be trying to do I think you've got to take that seriously
2: and it it kind of makes what happened in that 2021 Orange Bowl and I would also add that uh the Fiesta Bowl this past season against TCU I think all of them more funnier yeah. like it, it, if if they're going to these great extents, and uh, ESPN's Pete Sammel and Mark Schlabach reported last night that Michigan did indeed send Connor Stallions to the 2021 and the 2022 SEC Championship games, um, it, it makes it funnier that, in my opinion, that you know they're going to these to these lengths to try and get this information and it just doesn't matter against a team like a Georgia or you find a way to lose to a team like TCU that I think Georgia so thoroughly outplayed in the national championship game last year. I'm not quite as scandalized as I would say the common fan is with all of this. And that's, you know, to say anyone has a different reaction, that's like totally fine and understandable. Again, I I do probably lean more into the, the side of, you know, sign stealing. Yes, you can know some of what is coming, but you still have to go out there and stop it. And I do think, that the 2021 orange bowl between Georgia and Michigan sort of accounts for some of that. But at the same point in time, I think this is all based off what I've read from what I've heard. Uh, Michigan very clearly like is trying to insulate Jim Harbaugh from this by saying, you know, he wasn't aware of it, but also like maybe he sort of sanctioned it and said, I don't want to hear a single thing about this that way, that way, if, and when we do get caught. And I think that's the big thing with all this that is kind of eye opening to me. Like, I don't know, don't wear Michigan stuff when you're out there doing this. Yeah. Like, it, like don't, don't try and get caught. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing what this sort of next step looks like here uh, for Hubba. You know, In terms of punishment or anything like that, knowing how the NCAA moves on it, like as much as there's, I think, a desire for information right now and maybe some resolution on this, like everything we've ever seen with the NCAA, who is in fact handling this investigation, let's not forget that fact, they move slowly. And I'm skeptical that there's going to be any sort of punishment before the end of this season, and it's going to drag on to the off season. And, you know, it's a different Patriots controversy, but I have a feeling that this Michigan thing is going to slowly turn into a deflate gate, and it's just going to be minutiae updates after minutia updates, and it's just going to really drag on and become, you know, something of an eyesore for the sport. So, you know, again, with Michigan as a whole, it's very much play stupid games, you're sending an assistant to to go film things on the sidelines there, win stupid prizes, which is whatever is going to come next for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it sort of feels like this is heading to an obvious place where even if it's just like sort of proven at kind of like the smoking gun level that they clearly did wrong, to bring in topics we don't like to discuss here, there's an element of this that sort of feels like Michigan football is too big to fail, kind of the same way like Kansas basketball may have been with some of the FBI type stuff where – like even if Michigan sort of caught red-handed in an obvious violation of rules they're not throwing the book at Michigan because it's still Michigan football and there's too much money to be lost by punishing one of the blue chip kind of like standard bearers in the sport that ultimately we may all get you know uh scandalized by this we may be we may be aghast at the at the allegations but ultimately no one has the power to bring down Michigan because programs at the level of Michigan just don't get brought down
2: right what's the old Jerry Tarkanian quote the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky they just punished uh Cleveland State even harder right yeah uh I, I, I think that's uh, again I think that is where this is all sort of headed you know the NCAA wanted to suspend Jim Harbaugh uh this past off season and go in obviously into this season risk stemming from uh COVID recruiting violations and, and so you know he might get suspended, you know, be it four games, six games, eight games, whatever. But in terms of, like, true penalties and changing the outcome of things, like, I don't know, I don't think, I don't think the NCAA is going to take away scholarships from Michigan. And, I mean, I'll say this as well, you know, Harbaugh, again, you know, he's tried to go to the NFL in each of the last two seasons. That's been unsuccessful. But, you know, who knows? Maybe if, if the seat does get too warm, maybe he can bounce to the NFL and sort of leave Michigan holding the bag. Uh, but at the same point in time, you know, the lat, the program that he has built Michigan into, uh, you know, I think Michigan does it all over again and says, yeah, like, you know, as long as, you know, they're not taking away potential future playoff games from Michigan, uh, I think they do this all over again, knowing the consequences in the end, especially if they go on to beat Ohio State this season, as I think we all sit here on uh, October, I guess, whatever, uh, October, I guess, like 24th, 25th, and think that Michigan probably is going to beat Ohio State with me later in the season, like, I can guarantee you not a Michigan fan in the world will care about the outcomes or ramifications of this if they beat Ohio State when they meet later this season.
0: Okay, so I want to do two quick things here, because you brought up a really good point earlier that I think it's going to be addressed, but but this specific point here, and this doesn't really matter for Georgia fans necessarily, but, but I just got to tell you, I mean, last couple of years, Michigan has dominated Ohio State. When most of us would look at Ohio State and would say, I think we would, It seems like Ohio State's got the better players, but somehow Michigan just got the answer for Ohio State. I mean, is there a chance that that was because Michigan knew what Ohio State was doing? I mean, we've all talked about, you know, Michigan being tougher than Ohio State, and they probably are, but like, I mean, what if Michigan just had an unfair extra advantage against Ohio State, and that's possibly the explanation for why the team with the better players lost somewhat convincingly both times?
2: I think the fact that the losses were so convincing, like they were both double-digit wins, I think maybe excuse from some of that. Now, the first one, you know, was a little bit of a closer game, uh, and I and I certainly understand why someone would would feel the way that they do there. But I think with the way that those two games in particular played out, especially with you know what Michigan did offensively to Ohio State in those two games, you know, my understanding of sign stealing it really comes from you know, your defense and trying to do things there. So I I think with the way that those two games played out, I'd be maybe pushed back on that a little bit, but I also certainly understand somebody going with that line of thinking. Uh, And and let's not forget, you know, it's the Ohio State team that they've struggled against similar types of opponents in recent years as well. 2021, they lost to Oregon as well, at home, no less. Uh, And then, Like, yeah, they were a better team than Georgia for most of that game uh, in the Peach Bowl last season. But they still found a way to lose that game and played pretty poorly down the stretch there in the fourth quarter. And then I think everything you've heard them say coming out of that game, I I think, only sort of affirms that. So, again, I I can certainly understand why an Ohio State fan would feel that way. But at large, I think when you lose by double digits in a football game, it's hard for me to sort of sit here and say, oh, look, you know, they had some of our signs – And that's
0: why we lost. All right. And the other thing is, and I want to do this kind of quick, but I think it's a really good point, which is, and to me this kind of dovetails into what Matt Rule said about Georgia this week too, that there's an element of Georgia that's not stealable, right? Like there's an element of what has made Georgia Georgia – It doesn't matter if you know what they're doing they may very well just tell you what they're doing they're not really disguising it very much in other words they're just trying to overwhelm you with incredibly talented players who've practiced very hard to be as intense as possible in the moments that matter like that's not a secret and that's not uh you know this diabolical scheme now i do think that uh uh, todd munkin had a terrific schematic day against michigan perhaps that's even more impressive now because of the stuff we know about michigan but nonetheless There's a there's there's a certain aspect of Georgia. Even if you've got a chance to see their practices, all you would see is how hard they're practicing, and you would realize there's no magic formula for for defeating a team of talented players who've committed to working as hard as they worked. There is an element of this that actually does make Georgia seem really cool, and in light of Matt Rule uh praising the way that georgia practices there really is kind of an interesting sort of anti-fragile aspect to the way that georgia goes about its business that makes it more impervious to someone else's sign stealing or someone else's extra information or someone else's you know attempt to scheme something up diabolically that georgia just seems somewhat impervious to that which is kind of nice
2: yeah sort of two things there i'll, I'll address uh, the latter part first you know there's no replicating practicing for brock powers when hours we know practices as hard as he does when healthy obviously and then he goes out there and translates it to saturday there's no replicating a malachi Starks with what he's able to do uh past teams there's no replicating a jordan davis or a Jalen carter with what they're able to bring and so i think that's sort of why as kirby smart sort of outlined last night you know he's not super duper concerned about sign stealing and whatnot because i think at the end of the day he believes the sport is about players rather than play callers there and then as far as Munkin, you know, it's interesting you bring him up in regards to that twenty twenty one Orange Bowl. Do you know who his coworker, uh, his defensive coordinator, is with his current team is right now?
0: Is it uh, what's his name from Michigan? Uh, is it McDonald's? Is that his name?
2: It is. It is Mike McDonald. Yeah. Uh And they both work for a Harbaugh uh, in in John. So very, very really huh. interesting tie in there. That you mentioned that and how it all sort of ties in together.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. I want to move on to Georgia Florida on Saturday and. You asked Kirby Smart a question yesterday about um, you know about Damon Wilson and Marvin Jones Jr. And I kind of jokingly said before you joined us, listen, for me as a Georgia fan, this is something I'd love to speak into existence. Both those guys, to my eye, seem to play a lot more against Vanderbilt than we'd perhaps seen from them a little bit earlier in the season. And if you could give me either of them. Jones because a little bit more experienced Wilson because he's obviously an amazing talent if one of those guys could really pop could really emerge for Georgia in what I believe is another eight games still left in this season man Connor that'd be awesome news for a dog fan what did you think about what Kirby said about both Wilson and Jones Jr these two former elite recruits as edge rushers who could be on the verge of breaking out possibly
2: yeah I I sort of asked that question last night in part because obviously we noticed uh them playing more and taking more of a you know greater share reps and I wondered how much of that was because they had made progress in practice and were becoming just better players and guys I think Georgia is willing to try and count on on an early down basis and how much of the fact is that it was Vanderbilt an opponent Georgia knows it's going to be even you know playing I think a C game they still won by 17 and you know uh, you can make an argument that the final score shouldn't have even been that close and You know, of the two, I think the guy I'm personally more interested in is is Marvin Jones, and while I would say Kirby was more effusive in his praise of Damon Wilson and what he's been able to do, I think with Marvin Jones, the reason why is because I think he offers the ability to to play on early downs, and I think that's where my big concerns right now are with this Georgia defense, his ability to sort of, I think, be an impactful edge defender uh, on those early downs, be it whether, you know, when they do drop back to pass there, or even just as a run defender there. You know, is obviously going to continue to play a role for this team. But I think with, with Jones Jr.'s size and ability, and you sort of saw this, and you've seen, you know, flashes from him throughout this season when he's been able to get on the field, he's been a bit unlucky in that regard. But I think he, he's shown the flashes necessary there to sort of make that next step and, and go from a guy who – a role player to a more defined role – where, you know, again, he goes from maybe, you know, to use the basketball analogy, like the eighth, ninth guy off the bench to, you know, he's a pretty clear sixth man now for this team. While he might not start and might not have his name called first, he's going to be out there in that first drive rotating in and playing a big role. And I think if you're able to get, you know, production out of him from that position, I think that's huge for this Georgia defense. I think it, it helps in some regards take away from, you know, the quarterback run game that has so really hurt Georgia at times this season. Uh, you know, to me right now, the biggest concern is their ability to defend the edges, and, and it's where they, I think, miss Nolan Smith the most because that was something he did so very well for this program. And obviously, he's now off with the Philadelphia Eagles, picked up his first sack this weekend. And you know, I, I spend so much time here talking about their success on on early downs and their role there. It's partially because I think Jalen Walker, you know, again, maybe not necessarily getting the stats and finishing the plays there. If you go back and watch the film and really pay attention closely to what he's doing, he's getting closer and closer to the quarterback and making things uncomfortable. He was the guy that sort of flushed Peyton Thorne from the pocket on that last throw against Auburn there. And so I think, you know, if Jones is able to take this next step and Walker and Wilson are able to continue to keep getting better as young players, you know, the big question with this defense had been, I think, sort of their edge players and what they're able to get out of them. If they continue to make the strides that Kirby Smart seems to indicate they are, I think, and I agree with you on this point, I think that unlocks something with this Georgia defense that potentially allows them to level up and get back to perhaps where they have been in recent years in terms of their standard.
0: I try to keep things simple when I can. My magic number right now is 13. 13 points allowed against Florida. 13 or points fewer allowed in the next three games after that. Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Connor, that's my basic recipe for how Georgia gets through this four-game stretch, still undefeated, still on track, possibly win the national championship. 13 comes from – that's the number that Georgia gave up to Tennessee a year ago. That's a Tennessee offense much better than any of these. So that, to me, me makes the 13 points a very reasonable, achievable number. You look at Florida and its two losses this year, 11 points scored against Utah, 14 points scored against Kentucky. You can keep Florida to a number like that, and if you can do that to Florida on Saturday – even against better offenses coming up the likes of a Missouri Ole Miss both those games at home I think that Georgia should be able to do that there maybe they don't but if they're a national championship level they probably should and then obviously Tennessee on the road a far cry from what it was a year ago once again I think 13 is pretty reasonable even with the Vols playing at home do you think Georgia can keep its next four opponent p- opponents to 13 or fewer points scored
2: yes but I actually think it has maybe perhaps more to do with the offense than it necessarily does the defense. Okay. Go back and look at some of the games. You know, Kentucky got to 14 because they had a short field after a Carson Beck interception.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Auburn got to 20 because two of their – I believe both their touchdown drives came off of Georgia turnover. Good point. Uh, the Vanderbilt game, uh, to go from 13 to 20, came after a Carson Beck interception that got returned to the one-yard line. If Georgia's not giving their opponents short fields and giving them extra possessions as well on the offensive side of the ball, I think that's going to help this defense out even more. I do agree with you. I think through this next phase with Brock Bowers being out and we're not knowing when we're going to get him back, I think this defense has to lead this team. I believe the talent is there, whether it be Michael Williams, Kamari Lasseter, Small London, or Malachi Sarch. The talent is there. They need to go out there and show it. I think they've shown it at times this year. You think back to that South Carolina game where they held them to zero points there in the second half and made things really difficult for Spencer Rattler. They're going to have to do it over a four-game stretch. And as you and I both know, it's hard to play really well four games in a row. One of those games is probably going to be like a C effort from Georgia, and they're going to have to try and grind out a win. Uh, That's not to say anything negative of Georgia. That's just sort of how college football goes. And you're gonna need your defense to step up and make plays in that game. And so I, I think, you know, thirteen, it, it sounds like an ambitious goal, but Georgia gave up fourteen points a game last year and a lot of that was weighted at the end when they gave up thirty to Ohio thirty to LSU and forty one to Ohio State. That twenty twenty one defense only gave up around ten points a game and even that was a little weighted after they gave up forty one to Alabama in the SEC title game. So I, I think it's realistic to expect this team to give up around 13, 14 points. I believe their average right now is like 14.9. If they can go out there and sort of do what you say, and again, magic numbers, you know, you gave 40 sacks, I think, for the 2021 season, and they ended up hitting that, I believe, got to 49. So I think it's something this team absolutely can do and has shown it. They just need to show the consistency throughout the four quarters. And make sure that the offense doesn't give the opposing team short field like they have in some games this
0: year. Got one more thing for you. I don't want to be respectful of your time, especially since you're joining us uh, on short notice, but one more thing. Let me also remind folks that normally it's Mike Griffith here for Georgia Farm Bureau insider update on the program, and of course, Georgia Farm Bureau, we say always the home team. What that means is you know, their their agents and their folks living right here in the state of Georgia doing the same things you are on a daily basis, you know, traveling throughout the state, going about their business, going to work, all that kind of stuff. They understand what matters to you. When you're driving to your own job every day, that means you need good auto insurance coverage on that vehicle that your livelihood depends on. The home where you build your great memories and you sort of establish your life, good home insurance to kind of cover Uh, the most important thing in your life, where you and your family live, and life insurance, all those things, heavy, weighty topics. You want someone that understands you. You want someone that's friendly. You want someone that's kind of just kind of got your back a little bit. And that is what our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are all about. Always the home team. Georgians right here in Georgia, helping other Georgians. They understand what it's all about. So find them online, gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. And find out why Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. All right. I don't believe I asked you about this yesterday. And if I did, we'll just edit this part out. But um, uh, I made a case yesterday that when you heard Kirby Smart on Monday say, you know, cocktail party, I'm not even thinking about that anymore. That while that may come across as a little bit like sort of the typical coach speak of a guy who just wants to focus on the game, I think there's a chance behind the scenes that Kirby Smart's belief on the cocktail party may have changed. Now, this is a crackpot theory, admittedly, but let me give you my reason why. I think it perhaps has shifted from, in his mind, a disadvantage that Georgia has to play this neutral site game to all of a sudden it's an advantage for Georgia because the example he's used in the past of, you don't see Alabama and LSU playing their big rivalry game on you know some neutral site field. And that's true. They don't have the opportunity to do that. But that's also millions of dollars that those two rivals don't get a chance to bring in every year that Georgia now gets to bring in. Connor, I believe the NIL era, to the extent that it's going to be with us here for a while, is probably going to save the cocktail party. And not because Georgia's going to use its cocktail party money, the millions that it gets from Jacksonville on NIL, but when you can put that money into your athletic department coffers, I believe that it's preventing boosters from having to supply that money and perhaps they can focus more of their money and their contributions on the nil which georgia like every other team in major college athletics right now desperately needs nil donors so a couple of million dollars per year that georgia doesn't have to worry about becomes because it comes from jacksonville that just frees up more people to give to nil i believe i believe the idea of kirby wanting to change the cocktail party my guess is we don't hear as much about that moving forward do you agree with that
2: yeah, so you're a fan of The Wire, correct, B.A.?
0: I am. I am.
2: There's, there's a famous uh, Marlowe scene where he's at the table and he gets up and he's a little dissatisfied, not happy. And after, you know, saying what is going to end up happening, he said, and the price of the brick just went up. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what Kirby Smart is doing and is going to continue to do with this Georgia-Florida game. Uh, you know, again, I'm sure there's part of him that will always want it to be a home-and-home. Home. But with the money that's coming in and, quite frankly, you know, Kirby's ability and Georgia and Florida's ability to keep renegotiating higher and higher payouts for this game, uh, I think only, to your point, further helps keep this game in Jacksonville. And, you know, I know a few weeks ago when we talked about this, uh, uh, the idea of, you know, how does this game change when Jacksonville does get a new stadium? You know, teams are able to host recruits in that game. They can't, you know, obviously host them in terms of official visits, but they can, you know, if, if you're able to make it to Jacksonville sort of an unofficial visit, they can sort of help facilitate some of the things there and sort of show off that game when that when that game's in a new stadium that's going to be a really sort of interesting thing And we've seen you know teams in the past uh you know that we you think back to the georgia Clemson game in charlotte a few years ago and how many recruits key recruits were at that game for georgia and having that in that kind of a stadium in that kind of environment i think could would be really interesting moving forward for what georgia's able to offer from a recruiting standpoint and Uh, You know, again, and I'll admit my own bias here, I think Georgia-Florida should be played in Jacksonville every year. Uh, I do think that, you know, again, it all comes down to, so long as Jacksonville is willing to keep paying money for this and keep making this a big part of what they want to do with that stadium down there, as long as the price of the brick keeps going up, I don't think Georgia's in a position where it can, you know, sort of strong-arm its way into turning this into a home-and-home as much as some people would potentially like that to happen.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I just think you're in a position right now, all major college teams are because of the uncertain future of NIL, that you just can't be turning down money knowing that everybody's trying to make up money in that particular area. And so it what has one at one point may have been perceived as a disadvantage by kirby smart maybe now sees it as an advantage because that's millions of dollars coming into his program that a lot of other sec teams don't have access to here right now connor uh great stuff i know it was short notice and i know you're uh, obviously got a lot going on but we appreciate you popping on and sharing your thoughts about georgia football really really fun uh we'll make it a uh, georgia farm bureau insider update and we're certainly appreciative of you for being a part of it with us here today
2: yeah, I was going to ask, do you want me to play like Mike Griffith's usual hits about playing this game in Jacksonville <laughs> and why it shouldn't be there? Or
0: you know. <laughs> I'm sure Michael no doubt give us plenty of that when he's feeling better. He may be sick, but he's never too sick to complain about the game being in Jacksonville. It certainly seems anyway. Yeah. But, uh,
2: as always, a pleasure to be on with you, B.A. Thanks
0: a lot, Connor. Appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And speaking of being sick, there's also a sick coach that's going to be the subject of our cruising around with royal caribbean here coming up in just a moment and speaking of royal caribbean boy so excited big things going down in 2024 in fact you may have heard me tell you before uh i get a chance to be a part of the early sailings kind of testing uh testing it out here testing the waters so to speak for icon of the seas in january of 2024 i can't wait for it you've heard me talk about it before it's the largest cruise ship ever constructed it's really going to be a redefining experience for the cruise industry when Royal Caribbean unveils Icon of the Seas, and I'm excited about it. And if you want to be a part of one of those early sailings there as well, you can reach out to Jessica Slater, terrific travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you get that done you can call her directly 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com uh, she can tell you all about it it's going to be a wonderful experience and she can even give you big details on the dog nation cruise coming up april of 2024 there as well on board a lure of the seas an oasis class ship going to be a great time unbelievable things going down with royal caribbean here in 2024 so make sure you check all of it out today Jessica Slater can tell you about it all right let's begin with something we don't often begin with here cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and that's potentially some very big news and very good news for Georgia in basketball let me show you this on the screen here for a moment Asa Newell is out of um uh, Mont Florida I guess is how you say that five star forward um down to four schools here And he's going to make his announcement today, choosing between Gonzaga. It's it's kind of funny. I'm used to, like, looking at the logos for, like, these recruit graphics and sort of telling you who it is, but we don't do a lot of Gonzaga around here. Uh, But that is the Gonzaga Bulldogs, Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. And there's some real thought here that Georgia could be a major player for uh, Newell, who we're kind of told here kind of a left-handed guy. Uh, Not kind of. He is a left-handed guy uh apparently a really good shooter you know kind of one of those you know sort of long rangey types uh this would be a very big deal for georgia to get newell into the fold here for the uh, class of 2024 as it were and an example of what mike white is doing uh, on the scene here for georgia basketball yeah so here it is from 24 7 high school hoops now this isn't i don't think the 24 7 sports i think this is just something that's doing it 24 7 uh five star ace newell gonna make his college announcement tomorrow a source tells me He'll decide between uh, Gonzaga, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Newell, long lefty forward, range out to the three-point line, good defender who moves well at his size, can protect the rim at a high level, number 11 player in the ESPN 100. This is a very big basketball player, a very good player, and Georgia would seem to be more than just a hat on the table here for his commitment decision. So Mike White is making some real inroads here at Georgia if this does go down. Now, even if it doesn't, the fact that Georgia's even a strong consideration here is a little bit of a Sort of a level up where Georgia has been. You got to take this pretty seriously. This is fresh off uh, Georgia baseball getting the commitment from Bryce Clavon going back on Sunday. Clavon's also like a you know top twenty national recruit type player there as well. So we obviously talk about football because that's what our audience really likes. But if you're a fan of the other Georgia UGA athletics right now, a lot to like about what Georgia basketball potentially and Georgia baseball definitely doing in recruiting here. Worth following what goes down with a uh, Asa Newell here. That is pretty interesting. Now, speaking of being sick, Lincoln Riley's apparently sick. And I got to tell you, I think this story is really strange. Um, I hope that Riley's not seriously ill. I do. I don't have any new information on this. But what we do know is, is that Riley has missed yesterday a second straight day of practice because of what's being described as an undisclosed illness. He also missed his weekly coaches show there as well. The uh, uh, wide receivers coach, Dennis Simmons, has been kind of in place as interim coach while riley's missing practice the quote here v espn is that riley's getting better um we're viewing this really as a player getting dinged up during the game or during practice so the next guy is stepping up we're holding it down until he's able to resume his duties i'm gonna try very hard to not be insensitive about this i really am because if riley's got some sort of serious illness then obviously you, you want to be careful about how you discuss this But if this is the flu, there are some times in life you just can't have the flu. And I'm sorry. Um, This just may be one of those times for Lincoln Riley, because I don't know if you've noticed for USC, the team is coming apart. Uh, They have looked bad in a couple of losses here this year. And I'm talking about bad from the standpoint of when they play something close to their own weight class, they're just not tough enough. Not tough enough against uh, Notre Dame, not tough enough against Utah. And you're kind of left to wonder, what is going on during USC practices that allows this team to go out there and just get shoved around by any team with the pulse you know if they're playing the the likes of the sort of you know weaker part of the uh, Pac-12 then USC's fine they're scoring a bunch of points and uh the highlights look good so seemingly everybody's happy but when it comes time to really get serious about football Lincoln Riley's teams have just never been able to buckle their chin straps they just I'm going back to Oklahoma here at USC when the going gets tough Riley just gets going he just does and now to have them at kind of a crucial moment in this program's trajectory here, about to go into the Big Ten, on the verge of potentially having their season just kind of fall apart here. Riley's nowhere to be found at practice. Listen, if he's really sick, if he's really ill, then obviously some things are more important than football. But if this is the sniffles, you can't be missing practice right now if you're Lincoln Riley. And I think it calls into question, you know, everything that, you know, frankly, people are kind of saying about him, which is, He wanted no part of the SEC, could have taken the LSU job for big bucks, did not want it, did not want to stay at Oklahoma with Oklahoma coming into the SEC either, goes as far away from the SEC as he can get out there in uh, L.A., and now with them getting pushed around by the likes of Notre Dame and Utah, a lot of people are openly wondering, does Riley want to be a part of this USC transition to the Big Ten? Because the kinds of teams like Utah, you play those teams on a regular basis in the Big Ten. And a lot of folks think Raleigh's just not up to that task, and he might try to go take an NFL job or something like that. If the NFL took Cliff Kingsbury a couple of years ago, then perhaps would also be interested in Lincoln-Raleigh right now. And, you know, missing practice for some undisclosed illness does not help with any of that right now. It doesn't. Uh, we wish him well. We hope it's not bad news. But if this is just regular run-of-the-mill illness, there are some moments in life that just require your presence. And practice the week after a loss, like the one that USC just suffered against Utah, to me that comes across as one of those weeks. All right, uh, a couple of SEC games of note here this weekend that I think are pretty interesting. You've got Mississippi State playing Auburn. Auburn fresh off its loss to Ole Miss. Um, Mississippi State fresh off its win against Arkansas. And for Auburn, we're talking about a long losing streak, right? What, they lost four in a row? Is it four in a row? Five in a row? Four in a row, five in a row, something like that. Long losing streak for Auburn here right now. And Mississippi State fresh off a conference win that most of us thought it probably was not going to get. I think your question here is can Auburn stop this slide because the issue that we live with now in college football is in the transfer portal age a coach like Hugh Freeze rightly so would want to try to dramatically change his roster as quickly as he could it just stands to reason he'd want to do that you use a lot of portal acquisitions to do that but what happens when things go south and there is no previously established bond between teammates is it easy for guys to want to start playing for themselves or sort of stop playing hard at all Is it easy to completely check out on a season? You kind of wonder if that's perhaps the case here. And on the flip side of this, is it easy to wonder if Mississippi State, here in this spot, clearly the less talented of the two teams, just has a lot more level of motivation? Because for Zach Arnett, I mean, I've told you before, I believe that Arnett's probably a one-and-done coach in the SEC. But if you win twice in the league, that's probably not the case. And he beat Arkansas last week, and he perhaps looks at this situation coming up on Saturday to say, Hey, I'm one more win away, especially against kind of a name brand type program in Auburn, or at least, you know, formerly a name brand type program. I'm one more win away here from perhaps coming back for at least another year as Mississippi State coach. And the players that are playing for Arnett, who've kind of established themselves as starters and kind of found a home in Arnett's system here, perhaps that makes them want to play for uh, Arnett in a way that Auburn does not have the same level of motivation. Freeze knows he's about to run a lot of these players off anyway, or they're about to leave on their own. It's going to be a new crop of players perhaps trying to you know, create a resurrection next year. I wonder if there's a huge level of motivation edge in favor of Mississippi State on Saturday and what is a tail-spinning Auburn season takes another turn for the worse on Saturday. I kind of wonder about that. And then I'll also just sort of briefly mention Tennessee against Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee, slight favorite here against the uh, uh, Wildcats, but less than a touchdown Seems like Tennessee's got more to play for here in this game. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, here's the main thing you're wondering. If Tennessee wins, you're talking about a two-loss team when it hosts Georgia for all intents and purposes, with a very strong likelihood that the atmosphere in Neyland Stadium for that game in November still feels like a very, very, very big game. Now, with Georgia possibly being number one, you probably get the best shot from the Tennessee crowd no matter what. But if Tennessee loses on Saturday, I think it takes a lot of luster off the Georgia-Tennessee game in November. I don't expect the Vols to lose, but that's kind of the stakes here in this game. Tennessee playing to make Georgia-Tennessee in November feel like that kind of big, marquee home game that the Vols have wanted it to be. We'll see if they're capable of doing that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, let me get back to Georgia football here for a moment, because... In the time we have left, I want to talk about Carson Beck and what I think could be in store for Beck the rest of the way. I believe that his homecoming game, so to speak, going back to Jacksonville, his hometown, to start for the first time in this Georgia Florida rivalry, is a pretty big deal. But I think it sets up Beck very well for what could come after that for him. Earlier this week, we got a little bit of an update from Kirby Smart in terms of what he's seeing from Carson Beck couple of miscues in the Vanderbilt game, but overall, Smart was pretty impressed with how Beck performed in Nashville and kind of where he is in his track as the Georgia starting quarterback here for this season. This is what Smart said about Beck going back to Monday.
1: I thought he was uh, it was good last week and continues to work on the things that are going to give us a chance to win. You know, him being accurate, him making good decisions, him putting us in right plays. Uh, he's a bright kid. He, he sees a lot of defense in the offseason and walkthroughs here. So when you see a lot of defense, you've been exposed to a lot of things, and I think that gives him confidence, and and he knows it's not all him. He's got people around him to help him. So I
0: said this yesterday, and I promise I'm not going to do some big hype train thing around this because I don't think people want to hear that from me on this after Brocktober kind of fizzled out the way that it did. But I told Connor yesterday when he was on the show with us that it's not inconceivable that Beck could enter the conversation – to be college football's best quarterback by the time the season's done. It's not inconceivable that could happen. It's not likely, probably, but it's not inconceivable either. And after saying that, I wanted to kind of go and look and see perhaps just how true that might actually be. And here's what I found. I think you'll find this to be interesting. So right now, the quarterback stat that probably matters to me as much as any other is yards per attempt. The reason why is is because it's kind of a combination of accuracy and explosiveness. Yards per completion, all that measures is how explosive your passes are when you complete them but yards per attempt also factors in your incompletions there as well so to have a high yards per attempt number you have to have a good completion percentage but they can't all be dinks and donks and so that to me is a pretty good simple stat that kind of separates very different kinds of quarterbacks and kind of ranks them appropriately and right now Beck is 11th nationally in yards per attempt so he's already near the top in a stat that I really think matters but look at this here for a moment The quarterback one spot above him is Brady Cook. Cook hasn't played quite as well as of late, and he's still got to play Georgia here coming up. Kyle McCord slightly above uh, back there as well, but when I've watched the Ohio State quarterback this year, I haven't always been super impressed by what I've seen. He is certainly not the second coming of C.J. Stroud. Tyler Van Dyke from Miami is above him. He's also injured here right now. Caleb Williams who knows where USC is as a program right now it's been openly speculated that Williams might not even finish the season you might erase him from the list you've got Caden Salter from Liberty the Flames right now probably flying under the radar should probably be ranked in the top 25 let's leave him there Michael Penix Jr. Penix Jr. after last week is no longer the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy anymore his stock has fallen at least a little bit still having a great year but after last week's near miss for the uh, Huskies even Penix's star is not shining quite as bright right now. Uh, you got Jackson Dart from Ole Miss, another guy that's still going to play Georgia. Uh, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. <laughs> I say half kiddingly, half seriously. How good is McCarthy once they don't have the signs anymore? We'll find that out. Uh, then Jalen Milrow and uh, Jaden Daniels, the two quarterbacks, going to face off here coming up. The point is, when you look at the guys who are kind of above back in a situation like that, seems like there could be some move, some room for him to move up at least just a little bit. Now, admittedly, Beck's numbers when it comes to touchdowns not quite as impressive right now. He's just forty fifth in America with twelve passing touchdowns here this season. But keep this in mind, and this is what I thought was really pretty fascinating. I went back and compared back now to Stetson Bennett a year ago at this same stretch, and here's what I found out: through seven games last year, which is what uh, Beck has completed this year. Stetson Bennett only had seven passing touchdowns. They would have had some rushing touchdowns, but we're going to not count those for right now. We're just talking about passing touchdowns. Last year, through seven games, Stetson Bennett only had seven passing touchdowns. By comparison, as I said before, Beck's got 12. But get this. In the final eight games of last season, Stetson Bennett threw 20 touchdown passes. In other words, almost exactly the halfway point of the season for a team that wants to win the national championship. Bennett was far better in the second half than he was the first half so what that creates is kind of an established template that Carson Beck could also follow already among the best in America in terms of his yards per attempt number but another number that just sort of simple to understand and matters to a lot of us touchdown passes thrown what we saw from Stetson Bennett a year ago was a lot more touchdown passes as the games got more and more meaningful and the Georgia offense kept getting better and better and better. Now, that's not a guarantee that Carson Beck does the same thing, but it is something to watch for this next month could really kind of belong to Carson. And we're not going to do like the hype stuff. And that's my point is not to inflate this more than it needs to be. It's just to simply give you something to watch out for. That Beck has already had a really good season. And this is the moment a year ago in which Stetson Bennett kind of turned his level of play up another notch. At least the stats would tell you that he did that. Watching to see if Carson Beck can do the same thing. I think that's probably worth your time. And I think for Beck, who hasn't played a ton, but has been in the program for a long time, All of that knowledge he's gained while he's been waiting and watching, all of that could be put to good use over the course of what we believe can still be Another eight games on the schedule for Georgia here this season. Uh, before we wrap things up, let me also give a shout out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink there as well, because it is the cocktail party coming up on Saturday, and there is no better cocktail to enjoy with than the ready-to-drink cocktail. The kind of thing that you get from the finished Long Drink. You like mixed drinks? Well, this is a mixed drink in a can. It's already mixed up for you. Already delicious. Already ready for you to enjoy. So try some peach flavored version special for the peach State here for a limited time take some down to florida show those lousy stinking gators but they're not classy enough to enjoy a little peach flavored version of the finished long drink or the traditional blue can grapefruit flavor gin kick long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume i know that's a good fit for some of y'all for your cocktail party plans <laughs> i understand that full well long drink zero no carbs no sugar how about the long drink cranberry a lot of you liking that there as well Just go to thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code, and you can find out where you can pick some up today. So for our golden shoe today, to give you an example of kind of some of the chatter you're about to hear around Michigan a whole lot more, let's show you this from our buddy uh, UGA Nation 412, who says, imagine Michigan spying on other teams to gain an edge and still losing like they did against TCU uh or against georgia as connor riley said before that's some of what you're gonna be seeing a lot more of i believe in the weeks to come and so that's kind of a reflection of that our buddy uj 412 who has been a uh, golden shoe winner before we'll give him one there for that there as well we'll also remind you the cocktail party looms ever so close three days from now georgia back in jacksonville we think beating up on florida again a lot of carson back good bit of the Georgia defense that's the recipe to get it done Gators will not know what hit them y'all have a great day we'll look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management we will look forward to talking to you then